0: Well, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church, and I want to welcome you here in person and also online in your home groups or just watching online now or or later or in the podcast later. Thank you for joining us and taking time to do that. Um, I want you to imagine for a minute. If you can imagine with me, get your imagination on for a second. Imagine you're standing in the doorway of a room where there are toddlers, and imagine this little guy is in that room. This, in case you can't see very well, this guy is actually named Tex. Tex, I picked up on one of my trips down to Dallas when I was taking some classes down there, and I brought Tex home um, for, for, uh, for my kids. So here's Tex sitting right there, Longhorn, right? Texas, trust me, it hasn't come from Texas recently, but it, it came a while ago. And imagine Tex is in the room, and you have a couple of toddlers in the room, and you are, are beckoned from your comfortable couch in the living room, and you're standing in the doorway of that room, and you realize that the two toddlers in this room are arguing about who gets to play with Tex. Now, you have a couple choices as a parent or as a babysitter about what to do in that moment. If you're a parent, one of the best options is this. Honey, your kids need you. (laughs) Right? And slowly back away from the door and invite, you know, mom or dad, the other one to come in and resolve that. Another issue is simply to back away from that door and not actually walk into that room and just be like, you know what? I'm going to let them figure it out. Another option might be, um, depending upon how much patience you have, it might be, you know what, I've told these kids. How many times, like 150 times, if they argue about text again, it is going in at the garbage disposal, right? And so, in you stomp into the room, rip text out, tell them, "I told you. If you keep doing this, you're going to lose text, and text is gone." You're angry, but you feel a little bit better. And now they're in a crisis and they're, uh, you know, panicked by the anger in the room. That's another option. Another option is, um, depending if you have more margin, might be, you know what? Hey guys, um, who had it first? Right? Let's talk about who had it first and then uh, kind of resolve things that way. And another option might be, hey, let's, um, let's just agree that each get a couple minutes with text. All right, I'm going to set my watch and here's a timer. Everybody has an iPhone, even if you're two years old, so you got an iPhone. Go ahead and set your iPhone timer. And after two minutes goes off or whatever, then you switch and take turns. But if you have even more vision as a parent and you're standing in the doorway and you're looking into that room, you know that all the solutions so far have actually been revolving around this, as if this is actually the problem. But if you happen to have gotten a good night's sleep and happen to be in a good space in your mind and heart and actually happen to have the margin that you really want as a parent, you know that what you're seeing has nothing to do with this and has everything to do with the condition of the hearts in the room that this thing is a distraction to the real problem, that fundamentally those two toddlers are relating to each other, not because of how they're gonna deal with texts, but because of what's going on in their heart. And you know that fundamentally the question for them is not who gets how much time with this little stuffed animal, but the question is why are our hearts selfish in the first place? Why do you want what your brother wants? And you know that if you have enough capacity in that moment as a parent to see it clearly. We know that we relate to each other not on the basis of law and regulations, as if somehow we can regulate how much time people get to spend with texts and then everything will be okay. That just simply living a life where we're talking about our rights laws and rules will never be enough to connect with where the human heart is. We know that underneath our laws, our rights, our rules, our structures, is a deeper way that we connect with one another. We know this intrinsically. Imagine a different example, if you would. Imagine if you're driving down the road at a, the posted speed limit 40 sign on the back road. I know that may take a little while for some to imagine you're actually driving 40 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, but imagine you're actually going the speed limit on the back road for a minute, and as you come to one of our little rolling hills in Lancaster County, you see someone walking towards you pushing a baby stroller, and it's a mom out taking her kid for a walk. Why is it that you decide that you're going to relinquish your right to go 40 miles an hour? when you see someone else on the road? Why is it that instead of keeping and maintaining your speed and moving out just barely enough to give the stroller one inch to pass by you, there's something in you that says, while I have the right to go 40, I'm going to back it down and move out of the way. I'm going to give up my right for somebody else in that space. You will do it. We all will. Why? Because we know that when we're standing at the threshold of a room where people are arguing about something, the best way we relate to each other is not by bringing rules and regulations into that space, but by understanding the heart and the deeper connection of how all of us relate to one another in the first place. And this is what I wanna talk about this morning, especially if you call yourself a Christian, understanding in a space where people are going to want to argue right now and be divided and experience division, what is really going on in the room? What is really going on in the room? And how can, especially if you call yourself a Christian, how can you relate to people who are different than you, who disagree with you, whom you don't see common ground with? And what does it look like for the Christian to enter that space and connect for real with the heart of a loving heavenly father and connect one with another? Now, (laughs) What I wanna say, we've been in this series, this pandemic priority series, we said that why erasing the S yes makes all the difference. And that subtitle may have been strange for you, but what I've tried to say in this is we've covered three things so far in this series. The first week is this, that the church is more important than church is. And then we said that service is more important than service is. And then that change is more important than change is. You can go back and review all of them. But today I wanna to say this, especially personally to you, that the right thing is more important than the rights thing. That doing the right thing is more important than the rights thing. That the right thing, that This idea of understanding what is fundamentally right to do in this space is way more important than understanding what the rights thing is, that the law, the rules, the regulations are the rights that I have. But underneath it, we know that there is better ways to relate one to another in a crisis. Now, if you have any history in the the church or any history in Christianity or any history in faith... I want to speak to to two different groups this morning. Um, One is people who um, have a history in the faith and sometimes, sometimes can be drawn toward becoming simply religious, can be drawn toward um, trying to adopt rules, trying in their best way to honor God, um, can take on a mentality of a religious person, someone who is orderly, someone who... Um, has certain moral and ethical standards and sometimes applies those to other people. I want to talk about religious people, but I want to talk about religious people different than Christians this morning, because I think sometimes there are two different categories. And what I want to do this morning is give you two stories from Jesus' life, and then one case study, and then one question to ask at the end, because Jesus dealt with religious people who really wanted to, I think, started to in their walk. They wanted to honor God, but things got off track with them. And so I want to talk about religious people. People, and then I wanna talk about a case study, and then I wanna offer you one question. So, to tell you this story, I wanna tell you two stories from Jesus life and his his walk on the planet and then go from there. Well, in, in John chapter 8, my first story, you can turn there if you want to, but I'm really just going to kind of zip by it. So I want to have you turn to another passage in a minute. But in John chapter 8, um, John tells this story of Jesus up on the temple courts. Jesus comes into a place where um, all the people are gathered to hear him teach in the temple itself. And in the temple courts, it was a, a broad area where anyone could come. There was no, you know, not a lot of regulations there yet. So people could come, they could walk into the temple courts, and there Jesus is teaching. In John chapter 8, we read about this story of Jesus speaking to a large crowd in that space. And all of a sudden, the teachers of the law they wanted to ask him a question and trap him. And so they brought someone into that space as Jesus. If you imagine the temple courts and there's a wall around them and people that are listening to Jesus. And then in March, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious people are coming in and they have with them a woman, a woman who is caught in adultery, a woman who is sleeping with another man, not her husband. And they bring her in and they kind of, pause the moment because all of a sudden the authority has arrived. And so the teaching stops and there's an interruption and they ask a question in front of the whole crowd. They're like, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law of Moses says that she should be stoned. What do you say? A total interruption of his teaching. And John tells a story that what Jesus does is ignores them. He doesn't answer the question. He begins drawing something on the ground with his hand. And I don't know what he was drawing. I don't know what he was saying. I don't know what he was doing. And they keep pressing him in this moment. What do you have to say? What does the law say that you should do? And finally, Jesus says, and if you know the story, he says this, that, well, here's my answer to you. Why don't we let him who is without sin cast the first stone? To which as John tells the story, one by one, the people began to leave. And all of a sudden then Jesus looks up from the ground where he's writing with his hand and he says to the woman, is no one here to condemn you? Well, then neither am I. And as I asked this question, I ask this question here, why do religious people Why do religious people like rights? Religious people like rights. They like the law. They like to know what is right and wrong to do. They like regulations, just like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. They like, listen, this woman, she deserves to be punished. She was caught in adultery. She's doing something that we would never do. So we want to emphasize this. Why do religious people like rights? The Pharisees and teachers of the law and the woman caught in adultery teaches us this, that it allows them to sacrifice others on their altar of moral superiority, Religious people like rights because it gives religious people a chance to sacrifice somebody else. Hey, look at this. You're doing something that I would never do. You're following somebody that I would never follow. You're saying things that I would never follow. And I need to, because of, I'm focused on rights and law. I need to live a righteous life. I know my righteous life isn't quite as righteous. So I need to sacrifice you on my altar to this false God of moral superiority. And I need that. And so I like rights because it allows me to sacrifice. You, if you don't mind. That's what we see. That's what the teachers of the law wanted to do. Jesus runs into another set of people. He runs into another set of people later on in Mark chapter 7. We read about Jesus engaging these same religious people on another matter. It was a really weird thing. It was called Corban, C O R B A N. And when Jesus was talking to these religious leaders about Corbin, what was happening is in the Old Testament law, the law said that you should honor your father and mother. Well, somewhere along the line from the Old Testament into the new, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law decided, you know what? That honor your father and mother is good, but we also want to give you a chance to dedicate your property to God. You can dedicate yourself and that dedication will supersede any Old Testament command. So honor your father and mother is good. But listen, if you dedicate something to God, you are going well above this old honor your father and mother. And by the way, The church could use your help. If you don't mind dedicating your home to God's use through the church, it would help us. And then you can use your home for whatever thing you want. So if your parents, and I'm going to speak in Lancaster County terms for a minute, if your in-laws want a doughty house and you don't prefer them, then you can say, I'm sorry, you can't move into my house and I can't build an expansion here because we've dedicated our house to God. It's under Corbin. Sorry, take it up with God. Or the pastor, I don't care, but this home is dedicated to God, and I can't do the honor your father and mother because I'm dedicating myself to God. And Jesus in Mark 7 just calls this out for what it is. He says that you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. The second reason that religious people like rights is this, that it allows them to manipulate the rules for their benefit. It allows them to manipulate the rules for their benefit. It allows certain religious people to be in control and to say, "Mm mm-hmm, like here's how it's gonna work. You're not allowed to be late, but sometimes I can be late if I have a good reason. You're not allowed to take a long lunch break, but if I have a long lunch break, it's because I needed to. You're not allowed to listen to that music, but if I need to listen to it, it's because I'm doing research. Like there's, I'm gonna manipulate the rules for my benefit, but I'm still focused on rights and you better not do the wrong things, that religious people like rights because it allows you to control things and allows you to compare things, and you never have to be in the crosshairs of guilt or shame because there's always somebody doing something worse than you if you focus on rights. Now, those are the two stories from Jesus' life. Paul engages us on a case study in 1 Corinthians 8, and here's where I'd love to have you turn if you'd like in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter eight. I'm also gonna put these words up on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. 1 Corinthians chapter eight, Paul begins to write to the local church and the local church is trying to figure out how in the world do we get together on an issue? The the issue for them was there's some people who are Jews and some who are Gentiles and the Jews, like when they would sacrifice their food to the idols, like when they were, excuse me, the Gentiles, when they'd sacrifice their food to the idols, then like we shouldn't eat it. The Jews were like, we don't care. The steak looks good. So I don't care if I eat it or don't eat it. I mean, it doesn't matter. i would be fine to eat it. And so you have these two different people coming from two very different ideological views, almost like political parties coming together that were deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained. And here's how Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, now, let me address now about food to sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. And I love how he says that. In other words, We know that everyone in the room has a reason for why they should eat and they shouldn't eat. Everyone has Googled why they should and shouldn't eat. Everyone has an article that they've read about why they should or shouldn't. Everybody has someone who supports their view about why they should and shouldn't. It isn't about knowledge. It isn't about knowledge, as if if you have more knowledge about should I eat or should I not eat, then all of a sudden you will have it figured out. No, 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 no. We all possess knowledge. If you think it's about getting more information, you're looking at it the wrong way. Because, he says, because knowledge puffs up while love builds up. All of a sudden he begins to name knowledge what goes on underneath the surface and how we relate human to human with one another and how God, our heavenly father has wired us to relate. It is because of love that you drive your car slower and move over to give someone else safety. It's because of love that you will want to ask bigger questions around your children fighting about text. It's because of love in this space around food, sacrificed to idols, that you're going to want to ask the question, not just what is the right thing to do, but what is the right thing to do here? Knowledge puffs up, but love, he says, builds up. And then he goes on to say, see, food, he says, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Such an important statement. It's as if he's saying, guys, are you confused, local church? Are you confused? Do some of you think, hold on, do some of you actually think that by eating this food, you're going to get closer to God? Do, Do some of you think that by not eating this food, like you are honoring God somehow? Like, do you actually think that by doing those things, somehow God is happier with you or you are closer there? Because if that's what you think, then you're going to fight for that. But it's the wrong thing to fight for. It makes no difference, he says. It doesn't make a difference. And so he goes on to say, be careful, however, that the exercise of your, and he uses my word, rights, I gave him permission to use my word, rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. But be careful, Be careful that you don't take something so small as in your preference and priority around can I eat or can I not eat meat? Can I can I do that? And then you bring it in. Be careful that that doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. What does that mean? A stumbling block to the weak. He explains it this way. He says, puts it this way. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. In other words, I may love the steak. I may love the burger. I may love the bacon. I understand that this isn't the issue. This isn't the issue. It is not worth fighting for. I will give up. I will give up all of my dietary plans for you. I will drive, move over for you if you're walking on the road because I love you. I will, if I can translate it into this world, I will wear a mask for you because I love you. Because I know that wearing or not wearing a mask doesn't bring me closer to God. It's not the issue. I will social distance for you because I understand this. I will be okay to engage in different forms of worship or styles of how we engage because I know that that isn't the issue. It doesn't bring me closer to God, nor does it push me further away from him. That is not, it is not the issue. Jesus was asked the question, one time. And if you've been in church, you've heard this over and over again. He's been asked the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And if you've been in church, you know the answer. And if you haven't been, here's the answer. that, that um, He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, he reiterates in a way what Paul is saying, that this is really about love. This is really about love. And so the question has to be asked this way, like, why take something non-essential and hurt one another with it? Why would I take something that is non-essential and hurt you with it just so that I can have my rights? Why in the world would Christians do that? Why would they take this? I have a right to have this. So now that it's my turn for the three minutes that I have it, I'm gonna throw it at your face because I have a right to. It's foolishness. It's an exercising of your rights. It is hurting other people. Why in the world would we do that and take something non-essential? When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He finishes that statement with something that we don't often talk about. It's very, very important. He puts it this way. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these these two commandments. In other words, all of the rights that exist, all of the laws that exist, all of the the ways that we should do things, all of the laws that that exist, they're built on the commandment of love. If you look at the law and and see it first as the law and miss love, then you miss understanding the whole point of it. If we reinterpret what happened with the woman caught in adultery and the Corbin problem and even the meat sacrifice to idols, what the religious people were doing was saying that there is law and there is way and there is order and there's a right way to do things. And Jesus is saying, you're standing at the doorway of the room with the toddler arguing about texts, and you think that somehow what's going to correct that is organizing the room and saying, let's set a new law. You each get it for five minutes. If you set that rule, if we set that rule without understanding that the law and the prophets, the rule of your parenting, if it doesn't hinge on love for your brother or sister, it is built on the wrong thing. It is only a matter of time until they start fighting again because we do not relate well to each other on the basis of rights. We do relate well to each other on the basis of doing the right thing. On the basis of love, all the law and the prophets in Jesus' world hang on these commandments. They are interpreted through love. That is just the way that it has been built. And so I want to encourage you today, if I can, I want to encourage you. If you, have gotten, if you have gotten into this space where it feels challenging, it feels hard, it feels like you're losing perspective or vision maybe on how can we relate to one another when there is enough division in our world to feel like it lasts for a lifetime, when there's enough division on either side, and I can't believe some people think this, and I can't believe some people think that. How do you get through that? How are you going to get through that? Jesus' example, Jesus' model, and Paul's commendation about eating meat comes to mind so strong for me that the church... The church of all places, the church has got to dig deeper right now. The church has got to dig deeper. The church has got to look past texts. The church has got to look past the issues that are right in front of us. The church has got to look to the condition of our heart and say, do I love my neighbor? Do I love my neighbor? That all the law and the prophets hang, all the ways that I see the world hang on whether I am loving you. See, if we ask the wrong questions, we'll get the wrong answers right now. If we're asking the question of, how much longer can I handle this? And I don't know if I can ever go back this way. And I don't know about this, and I can't believe they're doing this. And if we're asking the wrong questions, we'll get the wrong answers. So I want to encourage you to ask a question. I want to encourage you to ask a question that I hope can help clarify some of how you respond Personally, if you call yourself a Christian in this space, it's a really simple question. But it's built on Jesus' command, it's built on what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, and it's built on the bad example of religious people. Religious people want rules, they want to emphasize what's right so they can control the narrative and can compare their awesomeness to other people's failure, as if that small bar is good enough. But you don't want to be just a religious person, you want to be a Christian, someone who follows. Jesus. And so I want to offer one question to ask, and it's simply this. What is, what is the loving thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? What right now, as I look at you and you look at me, what is the loving thing to do? How can I respond to you? I may feel frustration that this, maybe there's a decision that was made that wasn't quite what I was hoping for. How can I get through that? loving you? How can I fundamentally understand that my relationship to you and your relationship to me, if it's going to be healthy, is built is built on love, not law, that the law is hung on love, and that right now especially, rather than escalate, rather than say, I have knowledge, I have more knowledge, I have even more knowledge, I need to win the argument, rather than escalate it, know that knowledge puffs up. But love. Love builds up. Love listens. Love hears. Love engages. Love tells us the truth. Love walks alongside without judgment. What's the loving thing to do? I'm convinced that the right thing is more important than the right thing. I'm convinced about it more now, maybe than ever. That I want for the church, not just Grace Point, but yes, Grace Point, but the church universal not to get distracted, as if somehow what we're arguing about is why we should be arguing in the first place. I want you to imagine, if you will, for a minute, standing again at the threshold of that doorway that we begin with, the toddlers fighting about my friend Tex here. The argument about who should have them and who's right or wrong for having them and who had it first and who gets it last and you always get it and mom's gonna yell at you and dad's gonna take it if you don't give it to me and you hear all this stuff. What are you gonna do? What's your play? As you stand there and seeing the arguments in the room and sometimes you're in the room and not at the doorway of it, what would you do? How would you lead those kids? How would you address what really is going on in the room? What does it look like for you? Because the truth is the time is yours and the opportunity is yours. The time, the opportunity, the challenges are now yours. So what do you do? You get to decide. I wanna encourage you. The right thing is so much more important than the rights thing. you pray with me. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together this morning to pause on this idea of how we can relate well to one another, that we can drive deeper, get beyond the presenting issues, that we can be people who see that the law is built on love, and when the law is unhitched from love, it becomes very unloving that knowledge isn't the answer, that reading more and understanding more isn't the answer, but that learning to listen, to engage, to love, to hear, even like Jesus did when he could have condemned the woman for being in adultery, did not. Told her to go and sin no more, but did not condemn. Understood that the law was there to help, but underneath it, love is there. Love is what drives all quality relationships. And so I pray that you would help us, especially if we call ourselves Christians, especially then, that you would help us in this space to be people who stand at that doorway. And when we see the arguments in our family, in our business, or in our community, we see people getting upset, creating sides, escalating, fighting, posting, adding more knowledge to the room, that you would help us to do the right thing, not get caught in the right thing, lift our eyes, lift our vision to be a calming, strong, incarnational presence in our communities and our families, that the church of Jesus Christ would lead the way in service and listening and in honor keep us on track, I pray. Help us to dig deep to find these truths, to find your care in the midst of this as well. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you for being here. and Thank you for joining us online um, in your home groups or just watching online from your own home. Next week, we'll be doing the same thing at 9 and 11 o'clock. Again, Adam Nagel, Executive Director of the Factory Ministries, will be here and doing this uh, here live and in person. So we look forward to having you back here next week at 9 and 11. Have a great week.